0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. I will give you a billion dollars if you could guess what we're talking about today. Because you just can't. Today, we're not talking about the usual, usual, man. We're talking about coaches. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I know. You knew, yeah, sure, sure you did. Yeah, that's right. We're talking Now, I got to be honest, I'm a little... I don't want to say off my game, because I'm about to be real on my game here. But unprepared, definitely, because I thought for sure, and I don't exactly know why, I mean, I do know why, but I really thought there was going to be some coaching news to talk about. Whether it's offensive coordinator or whatever, we got an early dance party, folks. Yes, sir. But whether it's, you know, special teams, what I mean, even just hiring and firing, even the Ron Zook thing, that wasn't even like an official official thing even though it seems official it was just like i first heard about it in the form of well seems like he's going to be gone because i mean check out his twitter and his twitter said something and i don't I, this for all i know is fake i have no idea but it listed like cbs analyst uh, as his title and then like former whatever he did and it doesn't even <laughs> list packers on there Which, again, I don't know if it's even true. Nope, never mind. Just looked it up. CBS Sports Network Analyst, former head coach at Florida and Illinois. (laughs) He doesn't even bother to put uh, the Green Bay Packers on here. Which, I'm just going to say maybe it said Special Teams Coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. He just, you know, highlight and then type in CBS Sports Analyst, whatever. I, I don't know. I, you know what? I hope it was bad terms. I don't even care. I want all that toxic garbage out of Green Bay. I'm so tired of it. Mike McCarthy brought in a bunch of guys that just did whatever they wanted. They were all his friends. Zook has been trashed since forever. Dom Capers was garbage for like five years. Mike McCarthy has been not even, I mean, I don't want to call him garbage because he's been a great coach. But listen, okay, let's just, let's just get into something here. You know what I think makes a good head coach? and It has nothing to do with age. And again, I've talked about it before, it doesn't even have to do necessarily with scheme, even though it's kind of good to be brought up in something if something seems to be working. Although I don't even really buy that, but we can try to talk about that if I can remember. It's about grind. It's about grind, and they talked about how Mike McCarthy just kind of got burned out. He's not a grinder, and Lafleur is a grinder, and that was one of the big aspects of him. Him, Sean McVay, these guys are just working and working and working. And I know Mike McCarthy works, but there's a difference between working and grinding when you're talking about an NFL head coach. Guys in Green Bay were going through the motions. I talked about this a couple months ago or whatever. They were coasting. They had a cushy job. It was like a government union job, which... Granted, I'm government, and it's not as cushy and unfireable as you might think, but let's pretend it is. That would be the Green Bay Packers, right? They, they got a good gig. I think as long as Ted Thompson was there, he didn't want to move anybody. Ted Thompson had a good gig. I really think Mark Murphy is the guy that we have to credit for a lot of this stuff. Because Mark Murphy was just, he, you know, he's doing title Town, he's doing the press conferences, he's doing all this stuff, and you hear all this about, you know, I don't want him to be so, everybody's trashing Mark, Mark Murphy now, and I have no idea why. Mark Murphy, I think, was the one that stepped in and said, you know what, this is garbage. You know why everybody reports directly to him? Because everybody was ripping us all off. Everybody got complacent. Everybody got lazy. Everybody had a cush job that they can get along with. Nobody's getting fired. Don't worry. McCarthy's not firing Zook or any of these guys. The only way out of Green Bay is if you get promoted out. And if you never get promoted because you're trash and nobody wants you, then you stay here for life. You're a lifer. The only guys that leave are the guys that we actually want to retain. Ted Thompson, he's not going to make a move. He doesn't do, you know, he doesn't have to do press conferences. He sits in a little dark office. He does draft stuff. He's not going to do any trades. He's not going to do any of this crazy stuff. Maybe a little bit here and there, but I mean, it's just everybody just gets involved to the degree that they want to get involved. And you know what? That environment kind of breeds. It breeds this kind of attitude where you do less and less and less because the guy next to you who does less gets the same paycheck, gets everything. You know, every, everything's fine. Nothing happens. So I can I can bust my back trying to innovate and trying to do all these different things that I want to do that I should be doing as a head coach to stay ahead of the curve. I got an off season too. I can look at what the Rams did and try to try to incorporate these wrinkles and figure out how it, how it works with Aaron Rodgers. Mike McCarthy knew that better than anybody. He would be ideal for how do I take the Rams offense and make it work with the guys that we have in Green Bay? How do I take the Titans, the 49ers, the Chiefs, how do I take what they're doing and implement that here with Aaron Rodgers? He could do that better than anybody on this planet. He didn't do it. It's too hard. And listen, he's got a hard job, but he's he's content to make those couple tweaks. We're going to change our work, our training schedule a little bit. You know, we're going to do... All of them in the morning now. Well, maybe we're going to make it more like a, you know, regular season schedule. We're going to have noon workouts and 3 o'clock workouts and, uh, you know, that that's like his big thing for the year. Andy Reid is still ahead of the curve because he's still grinding. Young guys that are that are doing so well, you want to know why young guys are doing well? Because young guys are hungry you got multi-bajillionaire head coaches who realize, if I got fired today, I'd be comfortable. Guys that miss their families who've been doing this for so long. It's, 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 I have to imagine it's almost a relief for McCarthy to get the year off. I'm sure he wants to work, but, you, I mean, come on. You want to talk about not grinding? The guy flew out, did one interview with the Jets. He said, it's Jets or bust. Jets said no. And he's like, no, nah, okay, I quit. That's Mike McCarthy. He's burned out, man. And listen, it is what it is. You're burned out, fine. He's not obviously going to fire himself, but it was up to somebody like Ted Thompson who wasn't going to do it or, in this case, Mark Murphy who, again, turned away from all the stuff going on there because all of a sudden the Packers are losing. He turns around he's going, what's going on in here? And he just sees people sleeping. So thank you, Mark Murphy, for turning all the lights on, looking around and going, this is garbage. I want this fixed. Ted Thompson stepped aside. Dom Capers, gone. A bunch of other people fired, and what did he do with Mike Mike McCarthy? He said, you know what, I'm going to give you one year to prove to me that you're not a problem. In other words, he got put on notice because he knew Mike McCarthy was sleeping, but out of respect, he said, I'll give you a year. Year gets about halfway through, team is garbage, and he says, you know what, we're done. I gave you a chance. I put you on notice, and you've done nothing. There's no reason he can't take what the – again, turn on the TV if you want to see what the play is. You can see what it is. You got guys on Twitter who've never played football in their lives who just really know Madden real well, who are breaking down route concepts and how it works and why it works. If they can do it, you're telling me Mike McCarthy can't do it? If, if, if Matt LaFleur is going to be successful in Green Bay, it's going to be because he's grinding, because he's hungry, because he wants it. I, I got scolded for analyzing uh, the press conference, which, I mean, calm down, first of all. But yeah, when I see him all starry-eyed and excited, and, and this is such a big thing for him, that's a good thing. Because he wants it, because he tr- cherishes this. Mike McCarthy didn't cherish it, man. He's been the, the Packers head coach since forever. He's not getting a promotion. He's not going up. He's probably never going to get more money. Best he's going to get is another extension for the same dollar amount. Probably another short one, because, eh, you know, his relationship with Rodgers is souring. The locker room's falling apart. And, and by the way, Mike McCarthy, with guys like Philbin or whatever, they were at the forefront of offenses. That that 2011 offense was as good as it. That was the Chiefs. Can't beat it. Can't touch it. The locker room chemistry, the way the guys all got along, the way that people didn't get in trouble, the 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 um, common vision and all that stuff. That was just that was McCarthy grinding. That was McCarthy grinding and actually caring. And I'm again, I'm not trying to be hard on McCarthy, but he he cashed it in, man. And again, Murphy turned around and saw this mess and said he's cleaning house. And good, good, goodbye, Ron Zook. Complacent, doesn't care, hasn't done a single thing to do anything. I saw somebody on Twitter say something like, I think it was Silverstein. I don't know what Silverstein's deal is. Every like negative, old, fogey tweet is coming. I, I like Silverstein, but just lately it's like, dude, what, are you, what is your deal? Maybe just retweeting an article, but it was something to the effect of Ron Zooks getting beat up for his players not being able to play or something to that effect. It's like, give me a break, dude. For how long is this to, I mean, ugh. I mean okay, if, if we can't blame the coach for things like, you know, not knowing what to do, not which, not knowing which way to run, penalties every single time somebody touches the ball, like if that's not a coaching thing, why do we have a coach? What is the point of having a coach? I, I, I don't know at this point. Beyond that, we just we have weird people doing weird things. I mean, it's, you know, Jair was an obvious choice for punt return. He hardly ever touched it. I mean, obviously you got the green light to use him because we did use him. It's not like no 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 you can't use him because he's too valuable, which I would understand. But he got the green. You no, know, he's using Jamon Moore. What in the world is that? At least if you want to use Marquez or or or, uh, or EQ, those guys have speed. Jamon doesn't have sp- – what I don't get it, man. So, yeah, pack your stuff. And everybody else that's still got a lot of talent – I like Campin a lot. And he might get hired away from the Vikings. I can't stand the Vikings. They're always poaching our people. Get out of my face. But, uh, you know, you also have to wonder about stuff. What, you know, the offensive line, I don't know. But I do like, if nothing else, that Mark Murphy has, has basically stormed into the room and said, you're all on notice. You're all on notice. And now with a new head coach, you know, I think even up to and including Pettin, he's kind of given the coach the ability to pick and choose who he wants, and I think that kind of makes sense. Defense maybe not quite as much, but especially on offense, yeah, man, open season, do what you got to do. Because all these guys were complicit, if nothing else. You know, and maybe you don't want to talk behind your coach's back, but, I mean, if you're coaching here for years and years and years and you're taking part in this sort of sleeping stuff, I'm not too happy about that as your boss's boss. As your ultimate boss, I'm not super thrilled that that everybody's been sleeping in here. And I'm sorry for guys like Campin and and other guys that have been grinding this whole time who've really been trying to to get it done, but I'm not happy and I'm not satisfied. And the bottom line is, that's an attitude that's hard to root out. Like, if you've gotten comfortable with your job and basically being complacent and putting in half measures, it's hard for somebody else to come in and say, we're going to grind and we're going to work extra hard to suddenly be like, okay. You know, I have to double my workload. I don't know if I like this anymore. I had a good gig before. If anything, I'm I'm praying that Mike McCarthy gets a job somewhere and I can go work for him again. Because I want to go back to doing the half the half measure stuff. It's not just the locker room that's that's become cancerous. It's the the coaches as well. And I, again, I don't I can't speak for every single one of them. Maybe some of them have risen above it. I'm just saying it's hard. Even good people get sucked into that. You ever been that way when you're at work? and you're like, man, I'm going to just grind it out, and I'm going to work, and da, 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 And like people around you are just kind of like lazing around, you know, or in another job where, you know, maybe this happens over the course of several weeks, where you're working hard, and everybody else is like taking breaks all the time, especially manual labor type stuff. They're getting paid just like you're getting paid. You're getting scolded for things not getting done just like they're getting scolded. You're getting praised when things get done just as much as they're getting praised when stuff gets done. It sucks you in. Maybe you you know instead of a 15 minute break you take a 25 minute break maybe instead of a 30 minute lunch you take a 40 minute lunch and then you kind of continue down that road. you get sucked in. In other words, I believe and understandably so that it's not just the locker room that's become cancerous, it's the coach's room. and the thing is i'm I'm concerned about the locker room and if we're going to do that, we can't have coaches that have the same problem trying to pull them out of it. I want Lafleur and a bunch of people, whether the young, old—I don't care what you are—but you better be hungry. You better be real hungry, and motivated, and understand how to get a lot. And, and it, it's twofold: motivated and ready to rock and roll, but also ready to work, because we're going to work, and we're going to work hard. And so are you, if you want to be on this team. Bottom line, and I think—I think that accountability is something that the, the teams, the players, can rally behind. I mean, they don't, they don't have much choice in it anyways. Who knows what they're doing in their off-season programs. But when they show up, it's like, yeah, we, we you tell us what to do and we have to do it. So they're grinding anyways. So give me something to believe in. Give me something to sink my teeth in. I, I believe it would be easier to turn around a, a locker room full of young players who you give them a rah-rah speech and these guys, the testosterone goes through the roof and they're ready to run through a wall for you. But we got to have that kind of mentality around here. So anyways, Ron Zook's apparently out and is going to be a CBS Sports Network analyst which is hilarious although he does kind of look like it doesn't he? he's got he's got a very professional CEO look to him I, mean, I, I i could definitely see him being like a CEO of some kind of company or a CBS network analyst all i know is i want somebody to sit down with Zook and start talking about what happened with the packers because i'm about to stalk CBS for the next several several days here cuz i have to know what he has to say Getting back to something I said earlier, where I said, you know, if I can remember, I'll get back to this. I don't even know if I finished my initial point, but whatever. Oh, yeah, the grinding thing was the first point. Um, oh, that's nuts. I didn't know my computer could even do that. The other point was about scheme, and I, I think sometimes we look at it and we go, ooh, the the, the crazy plays are sort of a Lafleur, mcvay McVeigh, McVeigh, shanahan thing. I don't know that that's true. I think the tree that they come from is the Shanahan tree, and the Shanahan tree is more about that... You know, you you hear about the outside zone. You hear about the the stressing the run game and and all that kind of stuff. I think that, at its core, is what really matters. I think the extra wrinkles, the the college football stuff, the bunch sets, all this kind of stuff, I think that's something that can be added on to almost anything. Now, you kind of have to have a zone-blocking scheme to do a lot of this stuff, which I don't know if there are teams that don't run zone-blocking anymore, but it it seems impossible. If you're not a zone-blocking offense, I don't know how you do anything. And the reason I say that is... One of the benefits of bringing in zone is that the guys run rat- laterally. Now, if you're running the football and you're doing man-to-man or a, or, you know, drive blocking, power block—I don't know, whatever you want to call it—the thing that you do when you're running is you push forward, and then when you're pass blocking, you kind of drop back. Well, two things: one, that's sort of a tell; they can tell what you're doing by what the offensive line's doing right off the bat. Secondly. If you think in, in specifically about um, those kinds of tells, think about play action. Who's going to bite on play action if they're reading your offensive lineman? But I think the biggest thing is you look at a lot of these wrinkles that are being done and the, the, the way that they run these kind of bootlegs. Think about a bootleg. you got everybody moving to one side and then they hand off the ball. Then you've got the quarterback kind of looping around the backside and throwing it down the field a little bit, you know, four yards down the field to the tight end that slipped out the backside. Now that works in a zone blocking scheme because everybody's moving laterally. What happens if you have a normal man blocking scheme? Well, in a, in a man blocking scheme, if you're going to run a, a bootleg, the problem is if you fire off because you're trying to pretend that you're running the ball, now you have an illegal man downfield. You have offensive linemen who are too far down the field, you run the risk of, of getting penalties. If they play pass and kind of drop back or whatever, the, the, the fake isn't going to work. Everybody can see that this is obviously fake. The guy's not going to hand it off because they're pass blocking, so we can go get the quarterback. So you can't run stuff like that. You can't run these these bootlegs, the the um, all these different screens and all all, the, all this different kind of stuff because it just doesn't work. And those things are becoming staples now. So I I don't know who runs man blocking, offensive line. The Colts maybe. I I have no idea, but I I would. <sighs> Anyways, how did I get here? The point is, I think when we're talking about the extra little wrinkles, again, we're coming back to grinding. I think any team can implement some of these things, and it's a matter of which do we want to take because it makes sense for our team, and how can we implement it so it makes sense for our team? You look at, for example, Seattle. Seattle has Russell Wilson. He's very, very talented, great thrower when he's on the run, on the move. I don't know if they necessarily want him running a ton, but getting him running laterally side to side and, and throwing on the run those kinds of things very good at that so you can take certain things and implement it into your team but it's a matter of the head coach wanting to grind and say we're gonna have to add in some stuff to our playbook and that's gonna take a lot of work on my part a lot of implementation as far as practice prior to the season so when we talk about a guy like Lafleur, where he's young and innovative I don't know that he's young I mean of course he's young I don't know that he's innovative because when we're talking about innovative we're talking about guys that create things I hope he's innovative, and that's part of what the grind is. Sometimes you, you you take a concept and you kind of make it your own. That's going to be important for the Packers, but again, I, what I, I want to just be very specific about what I know. Lafleur comes from the Shanahan tree, and the Shanahan tree, you know, there's certain things like outside zone and, and you know, certain plays that they like to run. That's what the Shanahan tree is. It's not overly creative concepts that's just sort of a modern NFL thing you know Chip Kelly brought a lot of this stuff into the NFL and and a lot of other guys are like I like I said I think it was 31 out of 32 teams called Lincoln Riley why why are coaches calling college coaches when they come into the NFL and and Cliff Kingsbury maybe he's going to bring in some stuff as well I don't know but because they want to grab some of these concepts and implement it into their team So I think we're talking about two separate things here. There's the Shanahan way of running an offense, whether it's plays, blocking schemes, those kinds of things, and then you have the wrinkles which get added on to it, which again, any coach can do that. It's just a matter of, do you want to? Are you being too lazy to? Do you think that maybe this flashy stuff isn't really necessary? You're kind of being an old fogey about it. But again, we're talking about two separate things, and I just wanted to kind of stress that. But either way, LaFleur is going to bring in some of those modern concepts, which is a good thing because, as I've said, teams should all be running that stuff. And no, you don't need Zach Taylor and Mike, Sean McVay and all these guys. You don't need them to be able to implement it. Andy Reid is, is kind of innovating a lot of these things. Andy Reid's making stuff happen over there. He's grinding over there. So, you know, again, just a clarification of what we're talking about here. Um, a little bit of general coaching news because there's a lot of stuff that's been going on, uh, especially with the Chicago Bears. They did lose Vic Fangio, which is fantastic. Um, I know not everybody necessarily buys into it. There's definitely a component with the Bears of, of good drafting, talented drafting, um, Amos, Jackson, you know, getting Mack in free agency, all these different things. But I, I think it would be nearly impossible to look at the Bears and not see the hand of Vic Fangio in this. You know, again, I talked about Prince of Mukamura and how he's been mediocre his entire career, and suddenly the last two years, he's a very good corner. Where did that come from? Akeem Hicks, for about four years, was was not great. Suddenly there's just this arrow pointed straight up, and he's one of the better defensive tackles in the NFL. Where did that come from? So I am excited that they're out. Um, you know, Some of that may be able to be retained. If I am a defensive coordinator, I don't want to change very much. But fact of the matter is, you're going to bring in your own culture, and you're going to bring in your own energy, and there's, there's, that's really the only way to go about it. You know, I, I can't imagine hiring a defensive coordinator that's going to come in and say, okay, tell me what Fangio did. Like, what was he like? Like, was he loud? Was he nice? I, I just want to be like Fangio. That's not going to happen, man. But anyways, uh, rumor is, which there's a lot of rumors floating around, the Bears are very interested in Chuck Pagano for defensive coordinator. Now, before everybody scoffs, please understand there's been a lot of people who got head coaching jobs because they were so incredibly successful at their coordinator jobs, but it just didn't really pan out as a uh, head coach, which I don't even think that's necessarily true. I think Pagano was, we talked about him, relatively successful. But going back to defensive coordinator, eh, we could do a deep dive on it a little later. I don't really want to go back and look at Shiano again for the second time because of the Bears. I'm sorry, Pagano, not Shiano. But either way, I, I, I've, I've scarcely if ever seen anything quite like um, what Vic Fangio did for the Bears. So him leaving is going to be a good thing. Somebody's coming in. We'll see what happens. Um, Zach Taylor. Uh, I know a lot of Packer fans wanted to get him as an offensive coordinator. Supposedly, the Bengals are pushing real hard. Um, Obviously, this cannot be concluded because Zach Taylor is with the Rams. But uh, the Bengals did conduct an interview with him during the, the bye week. And supposedly, it went well. I don't know. The good thing is there's a lot of time between now and then. Zach Taylor has the ability to think things through a little bit. And and that's the other thing we got to remember. And part of the reason I should have just been doing this offense, I just didn't want to compile a list and then they announce an offensive coordinator because then it's an entire day ruined. But we also have to remember, and this is kind of what I want to do at the second half of this, that there are um, a lot of teams still in the playoffs. And if you're hoping to grab one of those guys, you got to wait. So... It's, it's kind of a tough situation because you don't know you're going to get him. Right? Maybe we're targeting Zach Taylor. We want Zach Taylor, but if we wait it out, and let's say they win the Super Bowl, so we're talking February now, and then he ends up going to the Bengals as the offensive coordinator. Oh, I'm sorry, their head coach, because I, that's crazy to me. I'm sorry, but that's just crazy to me. But whatever, grinding, I guess. Now we're kind of just laying in the lurch here. And let me just say, too, I kind of hope Zach Taylor does get hired by the Bengals as a head coach because there's so much that can be learned from this year. I already went back a couple days ago and looked at the the success rate of guys coming from the... What up? we got another one. Keeping it live, keeping it real. But I looked at the Shanahan slash Andy Reid tree, and it was basically a 100% success rate. And then I looked at every other tree that's been hired over the last three years, and maybe with the exception of the Chargers head coach, they've all been failures. This is going to add another layer of complexity because we got Zach Taylor and we have LaFleur and who knows, pardon me, who knows what else is going to be coming out of that tree. But then you have a massive amount of, of guys getting hired elsewhere. Beyond that, we've also got guys jumping from quarterbacks coach to head coach, but they're coming from that tree. See, you got two different things going here. You got a guy that's probably a little too young, who usually, from quarterback coach, you would jump to offensive coordinator. And even that is a pretty big jump, considering how young he is and, and how quickly he's been moving up the ranks. But, I mean, the, the guy hasn't even been an offensive coordinator, much less a, a play-calling offensive coordinator, right? If he if he jumped up to OC for the, for the Rams next year, he wouldn't be calling plays. But as an NFL observer and fan, I'm interested to see what's going to happen. Then you've got Cliff Kingsbury. That's a tough one. What's going to happen? My assumption massive flop but you know it's one of those things you sit back and observe and, and hopefully can learn a lot from it uh Jim Bob Cooter he is out in Detroit which makes me sad because I, I just I have no he he seems to be very highly respected I just don't necessarily know why because I haven't really seen much from the Lions offense since he's been there I just don't I mean they, they've, they've had wide receivers that can't even necessarily get it done I, I don't know but anyways he's out and and the thing again with this is that's more competition now we've got the lions looking for an offensive coordinator Uh, supposedly Jim Bob or as I like to call him Ricky Bobby Cooter is looking at going over to Cleveland which again it's one of those things you can learn from what happens to the team over in Cleveland is he going to be able to do anything I, I don't know I you know what I've been doing the last like 48 hours is trying to figure out how to determine if a coach is a good coach and I have come up with almost nothing the only thing I could say definitively is to to look at the the players and not even so much the success because good players play well. So you look at stats, you look even at wins-losses, it's like, eh, I don't know. And beyond that, you've got coaches, but you got coordinators. If the Browns play really well, is it just because the Browns are stacked with talent? Should we thank the GM? Is Kitchens the guy that's doing it? Is Jim Bob Cooter the guy that's doing it? But I think one of the big things is the way the guys are playing. They seem like they want to fight for you. They're playing their heart out. They're playing four quarters. These kinds of things are are what's showing that a a team is motivated, and that's kind of what a coach does beyond the X's and O's, right? It's something I've I've talked about frequently. What happens when you're winning and, and guys are playing out of their mind compared to what happens when they're losing and they start not winning anymore, right, that level of motivation. But it's got to start somewhere, you can't say well once we start becoming undefeated then we'll then we'll start getting motivated. No man, you got you got to start with the motivation first and that's going to come from the coaches especially your head coach. But anyways, that's been bothering me for some time trying to figure that out. Um Antonio Brown just kind of running through the news, uh definitely seems like he's out. I know a lot of Packer fans are starting to sour on it. Definitely understand that. I'm not upset at anybody that says I don't want him here. It kind of seems like something they won't do if you look at the Packers and how they continue to focus on character. A lot of this new head coach, the reason they hired him, character, fits the culture. So I I would say very, maybe not definitively, but I I would be very surprised if they pursue Antonio Brown. That said, um, Rooney, the owner, basically said, I don't see him coming back here. And again, the, the Packers are a team that could use him and have the draft capital and all that stuff, but... I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't really see it, especially in a year like this where we're really trying to clean the locker room and the, the atmosphere with the coaches and all the, the kind of negative stuff that's going on. We want to start off with a more positive outlook. I don't know that Antonio Brown is going to help that. You're sort of like hiring a new coach and then looking to sabotage him with a guy like Antonio Brown, right? He's the kind of guy that's going to undermine your head coach. He's going to undermine the locker room. It, it makes sense to just say no. I'm still leaning yes <laughs> because I'm greedy, but um i definitely understand why no is probably the smarter answer. uh there's there's still some strong um stuff going on with Mike McDaniel. uh supposedly the Cardinals and the Packers are interested. i would have to assume between the two Mike McDaniel's coming to Green Bay. Now, i i'll be honest though, Cliff Kingsbury has done an incredible job getting talent over. That. I don't know if if maybe the owner has some really good connections, maybe they're just willing to pay out a bunch of money for their guys. I I don't know what it is, but I'm shocked a guy a really young guy who was recently fired and then quit a job and then took this job to coach a team that is literally the worst in the NFL, has just coaches flooding in from everywhere. Oh, we're, we're going to hire this guy and this guy and this guy. It's like, wait a minute. How in the world do you get all these coaches to be like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to sign on the dotted line. But, I mean, come on, man. If he's even going to leave, which rumor is he's not, Is he really going to go to Arizona over Green Bay? Unless he just really hates the cold weather, I don't know. But if you want to advance your career being the offensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, a team that very likely is going to be in the playoffs next year, a team that has you know Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, and uh, by the way, they just hired Matt LaFleur, who is a guy that you've worked with, and it's going to be a system that you came out of yourself, but also with a couple extra wrinkles because they worked in with you know with the Rams, and you guys can collaborate. Like you know, th- these are the kinds of things I've been working on over the last few years. And he's like, "Yeah, well, here's the things that uh, me and uh, Kyle have been working on over in San Francisco, and you can kind of collaborate on this stuff." I mean, it just it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if 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 it comes out that the Packers and Cardinals both reached out to him and he chose Arizona, I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm I'm beyond impressed. For Kingsbury and what they've got going on over there in, in Arizona but what in the world would cause somebody especially somebody who has a history I, I don't know but but just to clarify let me read this in its entirety NFL.com's Tom Pellicero reports the Cardinals and Packers are both interested in interviewing 49ers run game coordinator so they got to go through the interview process again The only real positive here is they wouldn't be interested in in interviewing him if Lafleur wasn't already on board. He already knows the guy. He obviously already likes the guy. If he didn't, it wouldn't even be rumored. Whether the rumors are true, I don't know, but whatever. Um, End of an era, Ozzie Newsome is out as the GM for the uh, Ravens. Eric DaCosta is going to be taking over. He's been kind of groomed for that job for about seven years now. I know most people don't care, but it's kind of a big deal, right? Ozzie Newsome's been there for a while. I don't know that he's necessarily done a great job, but uh, and again... Somebody who's trying to observe things, it'd be interesting to see if the Ravens start to uh, turn things around with their draft picks a little bit. Anyways, let's take a look here at the end of this ordeal at some of the playoff teams and some of the the coaches that are available, just just because. Could start looking at some other candidates, but I, I really want to put together a... So that will be what we do tomorrow if we don't have an offensive coordinator, I promise. I just... I was sure that something was going to happen yesterday, and it was going to ruin everything. But whatever, tomorrow I'll make my list, and if they hire one after I make my list, then whatever, we'll figure something out. Uh, the first team that I would look at is the Chiefs, and I really don't think we're getting anybody from the Chiefs. And the only reason I say I shouldn't say anybody, but looking specifically at offensive coordinator, you know, maybe we grab their assistant offensive line coach or what. I I don't know. But the two big guys everybody knows is David Taub and Eric Bieniemy. Taub, I believe, is actually top dog over there. He's assistant head coach slash special teams coordinator. Very coveted. Um, the, the biggest problem is the Chiefs gave him the assistant head coach title because they want to give him basically the maximum promotion that you can give to a special teams guy, right? Usually that's that's sort of one of those like half promotions. It, it's It's a nominal title to give you more money to keep you to stay. We don't want to lose Tao because he's an incredible special teams coach, but what are we supposed to do? Now, are we going to get him as a special teams coordinator? No. He's already a special teams coordinator and assistant head coach, so the best we could do is give him the same title. Now, do we want to make him an offensive coordinator? No, because that's not what he does. He's a special teams guy. What sense would it make to make him an offensive coordinator? I don't understand that at all. Otherwise, there's Eric Bieniemy, and again, it's the same situation where we could try to get him as an offensive coordinator, but it's a lateral move. Why would he want to do that, or anybody else? I mean, maybe, but I, I just, I don't see that. That doesn't really make any sense. Um, some other guys, the, the, the top coordinators that are worth looking at, Mike Kafka. He's actually been getting a lot of, uh, a lot of love because of what's going on. You know, they, they talked about Cliff Kingsbury. This is something I'd heard some people talking about, and how you know he can put. He can put Pat Mahomes on his resume, but the problem is Pat Mahomes wasn't, he didn't do anything with Pat Mahomes. However, if anybody should get credit for what's going on over there, it's Mike Kafka because he's the quarterback coach, and if you look at, I mean, listen, if anybody knew he was going to be able to do what he's doing in in Kansas City, he would have been the first overall pick, and you would have had, you know, 15 teams fighting to get up to one offering their entire draft to go up and get him. So he's going to be high on some people's lists. I would assume he's going to be getting hired, either promoted from within if Eric Bieniemy gets a job, which he very likely could. He's an offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, and despite his past, supposedly, I haven't personally looked into it, but I trust Pukowski and his analysis or deep dive, whatever. That could cause a problem, but it's still the the Chiefs offensive coordinator, man. So we'll see. I don't know. A lot of the head coaching jobs are all getting snapped. I don't even know what's left out there. But anyways, Mike Kafka is somebody to be keeping an eye on for uh, offensive coordinator. Otherwise, they've got wide receivers coach Greg Lewis, tight ends coach Tom Melvin. Which you know normally who cares about tight ends? But if you look at uh, Kelsey and the success that they've had with their tight ends, it's worth looking at. I mean, they've they've got some other guys, but I think what stands out in Kansas City is going to be the quarterback, wide receivers, and tight ends. A uh, pretty similar situation with uh, Pete Mark Carmichael and the Saints. We flip over to the Saints. Uh, we don't have anything really better to offer than offensive coordinator, and I don't see uh, you know, getting him to agree to that. Uh, Dan Campbell is another one, though. He's the tight ends coach that was given the assistant head coach title again because he's the guy they want to retain. It's actually usually a pretty good indication of a top guy that, you know, when you can't give him a coordinator position, or maybe he's already a coordinator, whatever, you want to retain him, you look for that assistant head coach title. So he is their top non-offensive coordinator coordinator. So um, he's obviously in contention for the offensive coordinator job. As far as some other guys, maybe, you could maybe look at Joe Lombardi, but, you know, I I don't know how much credit I want to give him for Drew Brees. Uh, Curtis Johnson is somebody else. He's senior offensive assistant and wide receivers coach. Again, I think that's another fluff title just to kind of, you know, keep a guy retained. Uh, and also, I don't know that the wide receivers over there are all that impressive. Obviously, they have Michael Thomas, but I think that's sort of a Drew Brees situation where, yeah, he's awesome, but who else? Right? Is, is anybody else really growing over there as wide receivers? No. I mean, they 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 drafted a stud who plays like a stud because he's a stud. The only other thing I think might be worth looking at is Joel Thomas. Joel Thomas is the running backs coach, and I think they've had quite a bit of success running the football. It's maybe one of the more underrated things. Obviously, you look at Alvin Kamara and his success. I don't know, just something to consider. Uh, Defensively, because I don't think it's... I'm not looking for a new defensive coordinator, but there's nobody saying we can't hire new defensive staff. I'm looking at a guy like Ryan Nielsen, defensive line. There's also Brian Young, who's a pass rush specialist. I would love for us to hire a pass rush specialist. But Ryan Nielsen is the defensive line. If you look at their defensive line, it's very Fangio-esque. Alex Okafor... You know, just looking at, let me just read some numbers since 2013. These are the PFF numbers 44, 56, 60, 68, 78 in 2017, and then he regressed to 72. But I mean, it's basically a straight line up. Look at Cam Jordan 61, 70, 78, 66, 81 was kind of like his big year. Then three years in a row 90, 91, 89.7. Basically three elite years in a row. And more specifically, because this coach has only been there for two years, but you look at David Onyemata, uh, 57, and then he when uh, Nielsen gets on board, he goes from 57 to 71, from 71 to 83.5. Onyemata just jumped up into one of the top defensive guys. He's ranked 20th in the NFL in his third year. Sheldon Rankin's almost the exact same thing, 53. Then this guy comes on board. He goes from 53 to 69, 69 to 82. He's ranked 24th. So how much credit do you give him, the defensive coordinator? I don't know, but that would be the one area I'm looking at the Saints going, you know, these, these, this defensive line is pretty solid. Now it's a 4-3 defensive line, but whatever. He's developing defensive linemen. And with that, in a 4-3 system, the, your pass rushers are your defensive end, so defensive line also encompasses pass rushers, unlike in a 3-4 system where it's your outside linebacker. So that's, in my opinion, a benefit because he's developing defensive line like defensive tackles and defensive ends, like we have, but also he's developing the pass rushers. Uh, looking at the Rams, obviously Zach Taylor is the guy everybody's concerned with, and you know I'm I'm kind of going about this in a different way, looking at production and how that can translate into a position. Obviously Zach Taylor's the big thing is that he's ascending, which really is probably a bit better indication of who's going to get hired and who's not than anything else. Production doesn't mean very much anymore; it's about ascending, and 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 I I think that matters because they're rising through the ranks for a reason, and it's a reason that's behind the curtain that I can't see. So all I can do is look at production and say, okay, this is what we've got. But if you actually go over and look at the Rams coaches, he's he's kind of buried. He's, he's way down at the bottom. Uh, I think some other guys to look at, for example, Aaron Cromer is the run game coordinator. Maybe even more impressively is Mr. Shane Waldron. Shane Waldron is the passing game coordinator. He's one of the top coordinators. If you look at, for example... Um, basically there's four guys if you look at this this coaching tree. There's Sean McVay at the top, then he's got his defensive coordinator and his special teams coordinator, and then offensive coordinators are broke down into run game and pass game. So offensively, there's just two guys kind of making up an offensive coordinator job. The guy's only 39 years old, so he's relatively young, and he's kind of moved pretty quick. He started off at Notre Dame as an offensive graduate assistant in uh, from 2005 to 2007. According to his bio, he helped guide... The two most explosive offenses in school history and Notre Dame has got quite a history. In 2005 and 2006 they averaged 31 points per game. That's kind of crazy. Uh, before he went to the UFL it says he worked for the New England Patriots in various capacities under Bill Belichick, uh, offensive quality control coach, later tight ends coach in 2009. 2011 which I don't know if he took a year off or what Waldron served as offensive coordinator at Buckingham Brown and Nichols High School. He was also a Northeast sports consultant. Oh, the year in between was him at the UFL, where he was the wide receivers coach. And why is this written all weird? Because I'm reading in reverse. That's probably why. So anyways, 2012 and 2013, uh, he was with the, uh, the UMass Minutemen. He was the recruiting coordinator slash tight ends coach. Uh, They actually had a tight end that was drafted, which is kind of a big deal when you play for UMass, but uh, Rob Branchflower, 7th round selection by the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2014. Uh, He went on to be the offensive line coach in 2014-2015, so he's done a lot of different stuff. Offensive assistant, tight ends coach, worked for the Patriots, he worked for the UFL, he worked in college. Uh, He's done offensive line coaching 2014-2015, to and in 2016, he was offensive quality control coach for the Washington Redskins. Washington's offense broke franchise records for total net yards in a single season, 6,454, surpassing the previous team's record set in 1989. The team averaged 403.4 yards per game. It was the first team in franchise history to average 400 yards in a game. Washington was third in total offense that year. So then he makes the jump over to the Rams. Sean McVay obviously pretty impressed with this guy. He came from Washington, so obviously he kind of has connections there. Brings over Shane Waldron. He had Tyler Higbee and Gerald Everett uh, as his tight ends, combined for 539 yards, three touchdowns, 13.1 yards per reception. Bottom line is, from there, McVeigh decided to make this guy, the tight ends coach, after one year, the passing game coordinator. In my mind, that's relatively significant. He didn't make Zach the passing game coordinator, he made Shane the passing game coordinator, so... I just would be a little surprised if he's not on somebody's radar, especially since if you look at the production of the passing game for the um, the Rams, it's pretty impressive. Brandon Cooks, the wide receiver, is having easily the best year of his career. Robert Woods is having easily the best game of his career. Jared Goff is easily having the best game or year of his career. Even second-year receiver uh, Josh Reynolds is having a much better year than last year, so everything's kind of working. With regard to the pass game, the uh, tight ends that he coached are improving, getting much better. In fact, Gerald Everett in 2017 was, uh, I don't know what he was ranked, but he was graded as being horrible, basically. Uh, This year, he's the fourth highest graded tight end in the NFL. So everything passing related seems to be working pretty well. So Shane Waldron not being considered for an offensive coordinator job, especially one that is not a play calling one like he would have in Green Bay, would make a lot of sense. Uh, obviously you have the issue of him wanting to get hired as a head coach or offensive coordinator that calls play somewhere else relatively quickly after is somewhat of a concern but the only way you get around that is go hire some 70 year old guy right if you, if you want good people you got to understand that good people are going to be looking for jobs elsewhere it's just the way this goes but that shouldn't deter you from going and getting good people but uh, yeah I like Shane Waldron that seems to make sense for me uh, as far as the um the Chargers, the only guy that really stands out is Shane Steichen, the quarterback coach. The only reason I really say that is because they've done a good job of hiring a lot of really old guys. <laughs> so you've got, uh, for example, the offensive coordinator is Ken Wisenhunt, defensive coordinator Gus Bradley, special teams George Stewart, who's you know looks like somewhat of an older guy. Um, even the guys be- beneath them seem to be kind of older guys. But uh, Shane, I don't know, was he, 40s? Beyond that, though, if you look at Rivers, I mean, he's been a successful coach for a while. I think he's one of the more underrated co- uh, excuse me quarterbacks in the NFL. But this is an exceptionally good year. So uh, Shane Steichen. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't know what we're waiting for with the Chargers, Patriots. Other than defense, I don't know that we'd be looking to get anybody. You know, I, I'd kind of like to keep it somebody that can work with Lafleur. Um, either either somebody from within that can kind of keep things. You know somebody that's been with Green Bay or somebody that's been with Lafleur makes the most sense. The Patriots are just from a different branch. Uh, but defensively, Pettin get whoever you want. I just I, I don't understand offensively how this. You know maybe an offensive line guy because I don't think it really matters all that much. Although that does tie into the scheme a little bit. But um, I'm not thinking the Patriots are going to have too many people that are going to come over here. Beyond that, there just isn't a lot of success. As far as the Colts, um, obviously you can go a lot of different ways. Frank Reich came from Philadelphia, which is sort of a byproduct of the Andy Reid thing. So you kind of, through a few degrees of separation, kind of poach that tree offensively. To be honest, though, I'd be more interested in some defensive guys, um, because what they were able to do as far as turning around one of the worst defenses and making them one of the better defenses is something that I would be intrigued in. So one guy that, at least... According to his picture, he looks relatively young. But uh, Dave Bergonzi, he's the linebackers coach. And if you've been paying attention to the Colts, one of the big names for the linebackers is Darius Leonard. Um, He was not a super early draft pick guy, but kind of shocked a lot of people. PFF has him as the ninth best linebacker in the NFL. Really kind of the heart and soul of the defense. Real imposing, um, really impressive guy. So that's somebody that maybe you could look to bring over uh, Jonathan Gannon, defensive backs, cornerbacks is somebody that you could look at. They don't have super good corners, but, uh, Pierre Desir is having one of his better years. And then Quincy Wilson, he's not all that great. He was a, I don't know, second, third-ish round guy, uh, two years ago. But you've also got Malik Hooker, who's, who's playing really well. He took a big second-year leap. Uh, Clayton Gathers, eh. I mean, it, it is what it is. A lot of this isn't necessarily so much even the production, but it's, Wanting to pick the brain of somebody that was somewhat at least instrumental in what they did over here in uh, with the Colts. And again, we, we could try to poach Eberfluss, but the only way we're doing that is if we give him the defensive coordinator spot, and why would he even bother to take that would be my question. I don't know if I'd want to do that. Again, I like Mike Pettin. Let's keep Mike Pettin, but if we're going to poach somebody from the Colts, I'm kind of interested in some of these defensive guys, see what they can uh, teach us about turning a staff around. You know, because a lot of that I think is. Again, you look at these players, they're not elite players. There's a lot of, in terms of just raw talent, a lot of better defenses. But as far as production, I don't know that there's a better defense in the playoffs right now. Anthony Leonard is their highest graded starter. His grade right now is 80.3. 80! 90 is elite. 80 is just barely in the very good category. They just have one guy that's very good, and it's Anthony Leonard. Their entire defensive line is 60s and 70s. Their cornerbacks are 60s and 70s. The other linebacker's a 60. Gaithers is a 60. Hooker is almost an 80. But it's just, you know, again, it's it's sort of this, what's going on? What are you saying to these guys? What are you doing? What is the motivation? What is all these different things? So I would be a little interested to see, because that's, that's another thing we're not talking about either, is the defensive staff. Is Petten just content? Is Petten just good with what he... Because he kind of inherited guys and just kind of left it as is. Not entirely, but, you know... Jerry Montgomery for the defensive line has been here for four years. Joe Witt's been around for a while, which I'd love to know, too, why everybody's so big on Joe Witt. I mean, I know he does great with interviews, and he goes, like, real in-depth, and people think he's, like, super smart because he divulges information. But you understand every single person that's an NFL head coach can say what he's saying, right? They just choose not to. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I just I there's so much like, oh Joe Witt, we should make him the new head coach. We should we should make him the defensive co we should do all why? Again maybe I'm just missing something, I don't know, but he's the past game coordinator for the defense. We're kinda of terrible with that. We've been terrible with that for a long time, and Joe Witt's been at the forefront of that. Jair is the only guy that's any good at cornerback. And I know nobody agrees with me on that, but it's a fact. Kevin King is not good. Nobody, no defensive backs that we have have ever developed into anything. Kevin King is not developing. Randall and Rollins never developed. Bashad Breeland was like good for one game, and everybody freaked out about how great he is. Josh Jackson was a second-round pick. Everybody thought he was first-round talent. He was trash. I'm just telling it like it is. Safeties. We got no safeties. No safety talent whatsoever. Jermon Williams came over here. In Arizona, he was a top-ten cornerback. He comes over here, and he's no good. If you're telling me Joe Witt is a stud because he comes into the podium and tells you, like, stuff from the playbook that every coach in the NFL can explain to you, that's not a reason to keep a guy. And I'm not trying to trash Joe Witt. I just, I'm just saying I don't get it. I don't understand what, what is so great about Joe Witt. How do you know he has a great football mind? Because he tells you stuff at the podium? Come on, man. Be better than that. Jason Simmons, secondary coach. Basically the same thing. Eighth season with eight years. This is the kind of stuff that drives me nuts. Eight years of being terrible at cornerback and the same guy keeps his job. Why? Why are we doing this? If I'm Lafleur, that's my first question. I'm going to Petten and I'm like, dude, I mean, I know you're new here, but, you know, sit down with Petten, sit down with Murphy, sit down with Gutekunst and say, explain to me based on the absolute, abject, pathetic production of your secondary since forever, why in the world mm, there's been no turnover whatsoever? Well, it's not their fault. Really? We've done nothing but draft. I mean, look at at the amount of value that we've pumped into it. We we, we got one guy in the first round at defensive line, Kenny Clark, and he's a stud. Mike Daniels is a fourth-round pick. We don't put any energy into that. What's going on there? Kevin King. Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Josh Jones, Quentin Rollins, Demarius Randall, first and second round guys across the board. Can't get it done. Don't give me this garbage about there's no talent. There's nothing but talent. We've wasted now, what, six out of seven picks? I don't care what they do at the podium. This has got me concerned. If I'm Lafleur, what is going on here? I'm talking to Murphy and going, I, I, I don't understand. If there's a knock on Pettin, it's the fact that he seems complacent with this. I, you know, okay, maybe it's not their fault. Fine, then. We have a serious problem with our GM, because apparently he can draft everything but corner. We don't know how to draft corners. Jair's good, but how do you miss that early in the draft? I, I don't know. I mean, just just by flip of a coin, you're going to hit it eventually. We're talking... What, what? What did I rattle off? Five guys in the first two rounds, and we hit on one? And again... Development. Where's the development? There's no development. There's never any development. Nobody gets better. Kevin King's not getting better. Josh Jones isn't getting better. Nobody's getting better. Maybe it's not your fault. Maybe it is. I don't care. If you can't fix it, go away. Mike Petten brought over Patrick Graham, run game coordinator inside linebackers. All right, well, I guess they're fine. I don't know. We lost Jake Ryan. Blake Martinez was fine. I mean, the run game went just right in the tank. But, uh, you know, maybe that had more to do with uh, the, the new pettin scheme, which emphasizes pass. Fine, whatever. You know, Jerry Montgomery, I mentioned, has been here for a while. Defensive line. Got no problem with the defensive line. Defensive line's doing great. Jerry Montgomery stays. Why? Because guys are getting better. That's what I expect out of coaches. Jerry Montgomery is earning his paycheck. Jerry Montgomery stays. Jay Hayes, assistant defensive line. Okay, whatever. Fine, good. You stay. otherwise scott mccurley uh, he's first year as a defensive assistant it's pretty low level as it is it's hard to give him a hard time about anything but i I don't know ryan downer defensive quality control his first year so okay whatever but I, i mean at some point again we're talking about defense at some point i expect more what are you hired to do we've we've got a defensive coordinator a defensive pass game coordinator and a secondary coach If you continue to go up the ladder, we've also got a head coach. Then you figure quality control and defensive assistant kind of are across the board. How many people are dedicated to making sure our corners and safeties show us some production? And we get nothing. And all we do is put draft capital into it over and over and over and over and over. Year after year after year, we're not getting wide receivers. We're not getting offensive line. We're not getting pass rushers. We're not getting defensive line. We're not getting linebackers. We're just getting corners, and we're not getting anything back in return. So again, you like Joe Witt? Fine. Give me a reason. It, to me, it just seems like one of those popularity things. Some people say they like Joe Witt. This all started because he comes out and he does some stuff at press conferences. Everybody says they like Joe Witt. So now the smart, enlightened thing to do is to say you like Joe Witt. I, I'm sorry. I don't roll that way. I don't just listen to what everybody else says and what's popular on Twitter and just regurgitate garbage that flows out of everybody's mouth. I see no production. Whatever. Anyways, the last team here would be the Dallas Cowboys. I think similarly, I'm looking primarily at defense. You could say offense, but, you know, Dak is okay. Ezekiel isn't good because of a coach. It's because he's Ezekiel Elliott. The offensive line just went right in the tank the last few years. Wide receivers aren't good and really never have been, but the defense is pretty impressive. Um, you know, primarily you could look at uh, Leighton Vander Esch, and again, maybe he's just good because he's Leighton Vander Esch. But you look at Ben Bloom, looks like a relatively younger guy. Uh, defensive tackles, Leon Lett. It's kind of weird that I don't see. It says defensive tackles, so we have a coach for linebackers, a coach for defensive tackles, a coach for safeties, and then it looks like Rod Marinelli is a defensive coordinator slash defensive line. Because I'm just looking at pass rushers. Well. That's not defensive tackles with Leon Lett. That must be Rod Marinelli is taking on that responsibility himself. And then you got pass game coordinator slash defensive backs coach Chris Richard. Richard, I don't know, but it, whatever. Point is, I I would be a little bit disappointed if we're not seriously considering looking at overhauling our defensive coaches. And it, 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 there's a lot that I like about it, and I, I I agree that a lot of the issues were not so much coaching related as it was injury related. But I'm looking primarily at our safeties and our cornerbacks and saying there's not a good enough return on our investment. Not even close. I think we did better against the pass, but I don't know that the players played all that well, again, outside of Jair Alexander. And we'll see what happens. Maybe Josh Jackson will develop. Maybe Kevin King will turn it around if he can ever stay healthy. Some people just need that third year, which for him is about a year and a half that he's put in. But um, anyways, those are some of the... Uh, Those are the teams that maybe we're waiting on, or otherwise we're just trying to wrap up some interviews with people quickly so we can hire some people. Hopefully we'll get some news relatively soon. If not, uh, I'll try to come up with a few more names for tomorrow. The non-playoff teams, I suppose, and then whatever, some of the guys that I liked. But um, anyways, we'll see what happens. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.